If you have your Bibles, open them up, Proverbs 15. And if you don't own a Bible, there's a whole bunch at the back. Grab one. That's our gift to you. If you want to sell it on eBay, that's fine. Um, as long as people have Bibles. But we're going to be really opening up this series in Proverbs today. Uh, you've gotten what are essentially three introductions uh, of a topic that we are going to speak about, agnosium. In fact, the more I study wisdom, the more I'm like, I don't really feel like I got good handles on wisdom. So hopefully after a few months, we'll get there. Uh, but what I want to encourage you with is this. We're aiming in a series to give you competency for life. And so that's not to speak to those of you who might say, oh, I don't have competency. It's to speak to all of us going, you know what? Uh, we can all journey this thing better. And today we get to talk about how we do that together in our company. So uh, Proverbs 15, I'm reading verses 15 to 26. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is a joy to him who lacks sense, but a man of understanding walks straight ahead. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors they succeed. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. The path of life leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the gracious words are pure. It's possible for many of you, especially if you're new to your Bibles, as you open up the book of Proverbs, it, it's going to begin reading like a collection of wise sayings, because it is. And, and the way in which we are to interpret this or, or to receive it, and this is going to be tricky in our, in our series, is we're going to approach this much more topically, uh, which is actually not the norm of how we teach, uh, wanting to still anchor this in Scripture, but really helping you digest this book because after chapter 9 or so, it, it really is a collection of wise sayings. And so we're going to come at them thematically. And what does that say about relationships, our work, our, you know, how we think and how we process life? And today we're talking about good company. We, we want to talk, therefore, about how, how Proverbs isn't just about giving you the ability to walk well, walk well in life, but it's actually giving you probability in all the situations of life. These are rules of thumb for how to understand reality and how to navigate it well. And a big theme, again, our theme for this morning and our focus is the company you keep. You've probably heard it said that you are shaped by the people around you. In fact, if, if you want to know somebody, spend some time observing, observing, observing their friends. You'll get a good sense of who they are. And so when we talk about good company, this is the kind of company you want to keep. And we want to talk about what it looks like, how we find it, and why it matters. 
See, Proverbs, again, uh, it, it, it's a book of wisdom, and it's, it's offering kind of rules of thumb. You know, th- this isn't a plug and play for every moment of your day, for of your life. This is exactly what you do in that circumstance. But these are rather general rules that will help you navigate life well. It's, so it's less a matter of how you begin to adhere to these things, but more a matter of how are you becoming a good student of life. And, and today as we talk about good company, and especially this idea of what good company looks like, it, it gives a lot of images. A lot of the images that we read, it was a kind of a smattering, and that's a word I like to use because it, it just kind of makes you sound, it sound like we're just lumping a whole bunch of things together. But it's saying in all these areas, This is what good company looks like. Look at verse 17. Uh, Better to eat a meager meal in harmony than a feast in conflict. If you have an awkward family situation, you know that to be true. You can can read that and go, amen. You know, I've, I've had those Thanksgiving dinners where everybody's fighting. And I don't care how good the food is. I'd, I'd rather be having my ramen noodles with friends. That's what it's saying. That's, that's not meant to be literal, but you can understand it in a literal sense. It's not saying don't sit down with people you don't like. It's saying there's something sweet about good company. There's something fulfilling about it that, that, that needs to be addressed, that needs to be highlighted, underscored, bold and italicized. Why? Because this is what makes good company distinct from all the rest. Good company enhances life. Good company can make all the difference in life. If you, if you don't know that because you haven't experienced that, I hope today this does more than just whet your appetite. I hope it gives you a hunger for it. And I hope it, it helps become, uh, we become a church that understands and wants to cultivate good company. It, it's more than actually just being something that's sweet. It, it's something that equips you. I, I want to encourage you this way. That, again, wisdom is understanding life and the realities of life and giving you the ability to, therefore, act in a way that corresponds and and acts accordingly to life. And when we talk about good company, we need to understand that um, it's true that relationships shape us, but good company are the kinds of things that shape us into wise people. If you want to be wise, get around wise people. If you want to be a fool, well, then hang out with foolish friends. When, when we see this in the text, we, we know that good company shapes because we see that it, it cultivates knowledge, good counsel, and encouragement. To knowledge, this is simply what I mean by that. Um, this is an appeal, not just to community, but the kind of community that helps you know you. Good community speaks truth, even awkward truth. Uh, Spurgeon, who we've quoted many times, he would say this, True friends put enough trust in you to tell you openly of your faults. Give me a friend, a man who will seek honestly of me before my, speak honestly of me before my face, who will not tell me first my neighbor and then another, but who will come straight to my house and say, Sir, I feel there is such and such a thing in you, which you, as my brother, I must tell you of, that a man is a true friend. He has proved himself to be so. For we never go and 
sorry, for we never get any praise for telling people of their faults. We rather hazard their dislike. A man will sometimes thank you for it, but he does not often like you any the better. How many of you have such a friend where they love you enough to speak the truth, even when it's a hard truth? You know, I, two of you, that's great. <laughs> we, we, we tend not to find those friends. Why? Because they're not only are they hard to find, but, but they, they round us out by knocking off all the tough and, and sharp edges. You know, the Proverbs echo this. In Proverbs 27, verse 5 and 6, it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Here's where culture's view and, and the biblical view of friendship are, are not aligned. In culture, you, you surround yourself with friends who help you and support you in your sin. They not only support you to do that, they probably make you better at it. You know, if you like to, you know, like, I, I, to, at the risk of being crass, that's why we call them drinking buddies. They're, they're not going to stop you when you go, maybe I should stop. They're going to egg you on. They're going to push you forward. Why? And, and I've heard this said to my face as a pastor many times. You know, I, I, I might be going down a dark path. I might be going in a direction I shouldn't, but at least I know all my friends are going to be there. They're not your friends. You know, the, these are... People that are, are just happy to see somebody else being destroyed alongside them. That's not good company. Good company loves you enough to say, hey, I, I see something in your life and it's not good. I think we should talk about it. Good company is courageous enough to say, this might cost us uh, at least the harmony in our friendship for a while, maybe indefinitely, but I have to speak it to you. Why? Because I care about you. You're heading on a path of destruction. If you don't know how to do that, or if you've never had a, a friend do that, essentially it's this. Can I just tell you how I'm experiencing you? Because I know you do this with your spouse. I know that you do this with close friends. You leave a party. You might leave church. You might leave a social situation. And you lean to the other and be like, boy, is that person making a big mistake. You're not a good friend unless you prayerfully and courageously step into the realm of friendship to say, can I tell you how I'm experiencing you? I, I think there's something here in your life that needs to be addressed. Good company offers a knowledge about us that perhaps we weren't aware of ourselves or we didn't have the courage to look at ourselves. If you want an image, good company just holds up a mirror and, and kind of shows the angles and the reflection that we're not wanting to see. And, and the reason good company does that is because good company doesn't want to leave you where you're at. It wants to see you move forward. Good company also offers counsel. Look at verse 22. Without counsel, plan, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. This not only speaks to the fact that wise people don't think their, their initial plans are awesome. Wise people run that past a few people first. If you don't have those kinds of relationships, again, that might be a strong indicator you don't have good company in your life. Or if they're all people that just kind of applaud and go, yeah, it sounds awesome. These might be cohorts these, or, or, or co-conspirators to a problem. They're not good company. You know, if you've ever met friends like that, they're, you're kind of like, hey, I, I think I should go jump off a bridge. Great. Let's go find a bridge. You're like, this, these are not good friends. This is not good company. Rather, good counsel is, is the process uh, of simply providing you 
expert knowledge of yourself. It's similar to knowledge, but distinct in this way. Good company is capable of providing you good counsel because it notices it's a student of you and helps you understand yourself. See, good counsel is nothing more than actually somebody who is committed to being such a good student of you that they're able to pull out your very best and make it shine. That's what counsel is. In fact, just stepping aside from the message this morning, I, I think that's why the mental health field has just exploded in recent years because not a pandemic, not because of uncertainty, not because of all the things that we're facing, which are legitimate things, but I think we've come to a place where we understand we don't have good company in our lives. People we can sit down with and go, you know, I'm stuck. Can you help me move forward? Or I have this problem and I don't know how to tackle it. Good counsel simply says, because I'm a good student of you, I've been listening and I see your strengths and your weaknesses, I can come alongside and make your, your goals or your problems and treat them as if they were my own. That's good counsel. And encouragement. You know, similar to knowledge, Similar to counsel, good company encourages. I, I think this is the most obvious point, but let, let me hammer on this for a moment because if you look at verse 23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. Uh, a, a simplified translation of that would say, how sweet are the right words at the right moment. You know, to say the right thing at the right time. If you've ever been with a friend who thinks they know what they ought to say, but their timing is awful, they're not heard. Or, or, or a friend who never says anything, but when you drag it out of them, it's like, well, that was really wise. Why can't you say it? It's, it's saying there's something sweet. There's something needed. There's an encouragement like any other, but to have the right word at the right moment. And, and that's more than just good company because it's good company that's shaped by presence. Years ago, uh, I was asked to be a chaplain for the Calgary Police Service. And I was talking to my friend who's a fellow chaplain. I'm like, tell me what you do. Because that, that's not like any pastor job I've ever had before. It was a volunteer role to support police officers in our city. And he's like, Aaron, it's a ministry of presence. You just show up and you stay and you listen. And you do that long enough, consistently enough, and eventually they talk. And then you get to talk back. Your life as a follower of Christ is a ministry of presence. Like chaplaincy is a, is a phenomenally uh, transferable dis, de, de, despiction, oh, 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 struggling with this word. Description, depiction, put those together and they're a jumble of words. It, it helps you convey the idea of what a Christian should be. You go into a place with the intention of just being Jesus. You get to know people long enough and, and, and through every situation in life that eventually they go, you know, and they say something and that gives you the open door to be like, well, I've become a good student of you that I can speak counsel. I've been getting to know you with a genuine love and care of who you are that I have knowledge, but I've been present long enough that I can actually encourage I know the right words to say, and this is the right moment. Church, you have a ministry of presence. And, and here's where we fall flat. Some of us are so busy, 
and I, I feel very convicted by my own words right now, so, so busy in our lives that we don't have relationships or at least relationships that move at a pace or a cadence where we can actually be good company. It's like you want to hang out? Well, I got five minutes. It's not, it's not a ministry of presence. The right word at the right time comes from being consistent. In, in fact, go to verse 24. It says, the wise walk in an ascending path to life, leaving death in the rearview mirror. That's my translation. It, it builds you up. I mean, Proverbs will again and again, you're going to hear this again in the series, uh, speak to words are a way that build up life or death. Encouragement is something that, that you know, helps you ascend towards life. It gives life to the full. It builds you up, pumps your tires. But moreover, it leaves death behind. You see, anyone can encourage, that, but that looks like flattery. But to speak the right words at the right time actually helps you move away from death. And, and here's what I mean by that. All of us uh, have been inherently gifted with core beliefs. It's how we see ourselves, others, in the world. Usually developed in our early years of life. And most of the time, these things are actually quite negative. It's, we have an instinctual lens that makes ourselves look like we're less than, or the world is, is, is something we can't uh, achieve or aspire to, or, or that the world is going to hurt us, harm us. And, and a good friend is a student of us to know that that's how we see the world and give a word of encouragement that not only combats that, but causes you to move away from it. A good friend is, is and a good company is somebody, again, who understands you really well. If you, if you don't have a friend like that, that says, this is how I'm experiencing you, and, and I know this is how you experience life, so let me say the right word at the right time, I, I hope you're craving for it. I hope I'm doing a good enough job this morning to go, like, I, I think I need people like that in my life. Well, then, then let's talk about how you find it, because you could honestly do this. I'm not saying you should. You could go online, Kijiji, Facebook Marketplace, and be like, seeking good company. You probably won't get the responses you want. They'd probably be pretty problematic. Any of you on the internet are like, yeah, I know what you'll get. Rather, good company is not something you can find. It's something that's made. If you want good company, you actually have to be the sort of person who, who is good company. You need to be somebody who cultivates this. I, I mean, a byproduct of this morning might be the fact that some of you are realizing, I've got some relationships that I need to either sever or change. But the majority of relationships are ones that you can cultivate and help develop into good company. Church, this is where I invite you to help Mission Hill. You want this to be a welcoming church? That's your job. You want this to be a, a place of good company where you're known, like not just your name, but you are known? That's not on a staff or an eldership. That, that's on the church. If we want good company, we have to cultivate it. We need to build into it. And, and it, it's not just the sort of thing that can speak knowledge, not just the sort of thing that can offer counsel, and not just the sort of thing that can encourage, but it can do all that at once. Here, here's where an inside joke has value. If you've ever been you know, the, the joyful recipient of an inside joke, not to exclude anyone, but the, the value of it is this. In a very shorthand way of communication, you're looking to somebody to be like, I get you. We understand each other. 
I, I understand, I, I know your lens, I know your, who you are, and I'm bringing you in. That's what it does. And, and maybe by way of illustration, and I, I think this is also a public service announcement, I, I mentioned a number of weeks ago that, that my wife and I, Rachel and I, have a sarcasm of a love language in our home. That bothered some of you. I usually don't get a lot of feedback. I, I had a number of people come up to me and like, you know, Aaron, we don't love that our pastor and, and his wife like to make fun of each other. So, so let me clarify saying this. That, that's not what we do. Um, to, to encourage you where there's, a, there's an endearing aspect, but there's also a horrifying aspect. Um, there, there's the endearing aspect of no, we don't do that. This is, uh, if you've met my wife and if you know her well, which some of you do, uh, very reserved in her demeanor, but sharp wit. The, the, the things that she, you know, spews out uh, from movies, spews is not the good word to you, so good. <laughs> she, she's not here this morning. Do not share the recording with her. Um, the things that she'll repeat from movies are the most deeply satirical and, and, and cutting lines from the movie. So when, when I reflect those to her, that's me understanding my spouse. That's the endearing part. That's where you go, aww. I get, you get her language. That's good. Here's the horrifying part. So we don't poke fun at each other, but we do of other people. And before that, it's like, whoa, now we're really concerned. Let me, let me tell you how that goes. This is, this is a real experience of how that goes. That, that can be the sort of thing that, that builds. You know, I'll come home, and, and you know when you're close to somebody, when, when what they're telling you is false. You know, I'll be like, hey, honey, how's your day? And she's quiet. Well, that's fine. So, okay, a little off, not fine. How do I pull this out? You know, well, tell me about what's going on. Well... I had a rough day at work, and then, you know, just this, 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 cascading things. And then you know what really gets me is I come home, the, the kids don't even say, hi, mom, missed you, mom, love you, mom, give me a hug, nothing. They run next door to hang out with the kids, you know, play with the neighbors. And, and that's where, where sarcasm will come in. I won't say a word. I'll just give my wife a hug, and I'll be like, you know, they are pretty terrible kids. What do you say you and I use their college fund and go to Mexico? And, and that's where my wife, in a way that only the two of us can do, she'll just, she'll crack a smile. She'll be like, yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. You see? Knowledge. I get you. Counsel. Let's get you out of this funk. Encouragement. I, I'm here. But that's a ministry. That, that, that's a, a, a company that, that is only available through What? countless hours of presence. But it's brought into one moment where it's like, hey, I can get you out of that place. I can set your feet back on, on the right trajectory and in such a way where you don't even break a stride. That's good company. Do you have friends like that? If you don't, I sure hope that you want them. I sure hope that you want to be them because not only do we have to find it by becoming it, Proverbs speaks to this, that, that if you want that sort of friend, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Such a friend is made for the hardest parts of life, where you feel the most lonely, where you feel the most misunderstood, where you feel like the most vulnerable. In, in fact, if you like uh, Tolkien's writings as much as I do, I quote him quite a bit uh, on Sunday mornings, he, he's somebody who gets good company. 
In fact, when you read his books, the, the amount of detail, you know, and look at the Lord of the Rings, that there's just put into the company that comes together for these quests and adventures. In fact, the, the whole trajectory of the story is this, that there is a fellowship that comes alongside the most weak and lowly and unexpected of heroes, and then that dwindles down until there's only one friend left standing, and that's another lowly hobbit, someone named Samwise Ganji. In fact, the, the gardener of the hero. And in a moment where these two have a most impossible task, they have to take the one ring of power to Mount Doom in Mordor. I mean, like, you don't even have to know the books to be like, that sounds bad. And, and everything seems lost. This, this is a quote that I love. It says, come, Mr. Frodo, he cried. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you, and it is well. So get up. Come on. Mr. Frodo, my dear, Sam will give you a ride. Just tell him where to go, and he'll go. Good company is a kind of person that says, listen, I, I can't live this for you, but I can sit with you in it, but I won't leave you in it. We're, we're going to move forward together. Good, good company does that. See, if you look at the scriptures, it, it points to the kind of company that we needed but couldn't create ourselves so that God wrote himself into the story to be the kind of company that we that would be our rescue. Jesus is that companion. Jesus is that good company. If, if you don't see Christ in the Proverbs, one of the things we're going to be working really hard to do is that all these things point to not just life in Christ, but life with Christ and the life that, that Christ models for us because he's wisdom. He's the sort of good company that, that says, hey, I, I, I see what you're in. I'm going to sit with you in that, but I'm not going to leave you there. In fact, open up the Gospels, first four books of your New Testament. Look, look at every interaction Jesus has, and you'll see this. A deep knowledge of the person he's with. He knows them more intimately than they know themselves. But, but a counsel to say, hey, um, let, let's work on this. And then the encouragement to actually get them out. You know, think of the, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, Zacchaeus. People who are, you know, steeped in shame. And he says, no, I'll sit with you. I'm not going to gloss over this. I'm going to give you counsel. We're going to speak to the issue. And I'm going to build you up. I'm going I'm to walk with you out of this. Think of his disciples. Actually, if you open up uh, the, the Gospel of John, he says things like, you know, in, in a little while, the world won't see me, but you'll see me. You'll soon depart from me, but I won't abandon you. You see, you'll all be scattered, but I'll remain. See, I'm going to sit with you because I'm good company. And I'm going to walk with you until you get back on your stride so that you can do this for others. You see, church, this is why it matters. Here, here's the danger, really, of this series. Somebody could... Uh, lean into a series on wisdom going, you know what, I, I really want to make this a self-help guide to, to kind of crack all the ways in which I can just be successful in life. You know, how I take, just kind of distill the Proverbs into like maybe, you know, 10 or 12 steps that will make me a really smart and wise person. And that's not actually how Proverbs is meant to be read. So if you've been coming at it like that, let me take that burden off. Proverbs is actually meant to read in such a way where you are face-to-face uh, -face with the understanding that for the majority of your life, you've been unwise. 
more times than not, we love folly. If we were to categorize ourselves, most of us would land in the place of foolishness. But in that ache of self-understanding, we come to a hunger for wisdom, and that's when you can cultivate not just wisdom, but the kind of person who builds wisdom in others, and that makes you good company. Again, the challenge for us is we, we don't want to teach you to be people who look like you're wise, but actually who are wise. And if I were to kind of bring this all home into one thing that is a challenge to us as a culture and maybe an encouragement to us as a church is we're a people who care a lot about how we're perceived. Like, as a culture, never before has it, has it been that focused in on the individual. I mean, think about this. We used to travel places and take pictures of the things we saw. Now we travel places and we take pictures of ourselves, and then the things that we saw are, like, scrunched in the background. You know, it's a big old picture of you. And you got to get that. Why? So you can throw it on, online and so your friends can be like, oh, how was it? Well, look at me. Don't I look great in this picture? You know, Scripture speaks to that. Actually, Paul spoke to that. In 2 Timothy 3, he says this, But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. Francis Chan says, lovers of selfies. So focused on ourselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Now, like, I, no show of hands, please don't answer, but you read that list, and, and if you're like me, you probably checked the box on three or four of them. And the reason we don't have good company is we are guilty of these things. Lovers of self. We, we love all of these things about, you know, what is, there's almost a common and, and respected understanding in an ethos of our culture of, but what does that do for me? And good company says this, how, how can I support you? And when we take off self and we step into that realm, not, not only are we walking in wisdom for ourselves, but we are developing that in the company in which we live. That's what good company looks like. Church, that's where we're invited to live. And what's so powerful is when it says that, that this is people who, having the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. They know how to pose. They know how to talk. They've distilled wisdom into wise sayings, and they, they look okay, but, but they're far from God. Avoid such people. Actually, he would further describe them this way. They're always learning. This is verse 7. Always learning, never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. They're not wise. So if I could distill all that we talked about, because you're like, Aaron, I, I don't know how to have an, a, an intricate knowledge of other people. I, I don't know how to be a good student that I can offer good counsel. I'm barely able to give a right word uh, to myself, let alone others at the right time. I don't know how to do this. Good company is shaped by this. It is in, in, inherently selfless. And so we have to take off selfishness. See, Jesus emptied himself that we might experience the sort of life-changing company in Christ that he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to equip us to give. 
And so as we approach the communion table, I, I invite us to approach that differently today. This is for those who have placed their hope in Christ. To say, Jesus, I, I've been a fool. I've loved folly. I've been unwise. But in you, I see wisdom that is not just life, but life to the full. And I want to follow that. If that's you this morning, as you approach the table, that you would say, Lord, shape me into the kind of person who knows how to invite people to this place. Because in so doing, you become good company. You become the kind of person who elevates people to their greatest potential, and that is who they are and been made to be in a personal and authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me pray. The music team's gonna come up, and after one song, we'll participate in the Lord's table together. So Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. The greatest company that we could ever receive. And I thank you that is never apart from us for those who have placed their faith in you because Jesus, you indwell us by the Spirit. But let that do such a deep work in us that we all ultimately can become good company for others. That Lord, this was your mission to radically transform the, the world, not through people who look wise, but people who have been changed by wisdom. That is the gospel. That, that we know what it is to have life and life to the full. That, that we know we've been rescued from our folly. Lord, that we know better is the most simple of meal gathered with a group of friends in harmony like-mindedness, love and understanding, where we have courage to speak hard and awkward truths, where we have the wisdom that comes through good counsel to make one another's joys and problems our own, and Lord, ultimately lift up and encourage each other with the right word at the right time. Lord, that's far better than any of the riches this world would offer. So give us a hunger for that. And I, I pray as we come to your table, would we celebrate that in you, that you make that available? For your body, through your body broken and your blood shed. In Jesus' name, amen.